We're in chapter 4. We're near the end of Philippians. Hard to believe. Um, so we're in chapter 4 and just the beginning of chapter 4. So let's, let's read just a few verses and then we're going to begin to hopefully explore what uh, hopefully God's got to say for us through that. So here goes. Philippians 4 and we're in verse 1. Therefore, my brothers, you whom I love and long for, my heart and crown, that is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. I plead with Yodia and I plead with Sintish to agree with each other in the Lord. Yes, I ask you, loyal yoke fellows, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel along with Clement and with the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the God of peace, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have heard or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice and the God of peace will be with you. I guess it's very easy to have certain biblical theories or even to think we have the perfect theology. And actually, even if that was true, it simply wouldn't be enough. Because what really matters is how things work out in practice within our lives, especially when life gets difficult, when things become tough within our lives. But what happens to most of us, at least where most of us tend to go when we're in those situations is we tend to worry. That seems to be our default position, doesn't it? We, that's, you know, we, we know it doesn't going to solve anything. It's not going to help anything, not even for a moment, but we simply can't help ourselves. If anybody had an excuse to worry, it would have been Paul. Paul is in a huge amount of problems. Life is not looking particularly good for him potentially facing death himself. Alongside that, his friends back in Philippi are having disagreements with each other, and he's too far away to be able to solve the problem or do anything to help them. Now, with no idea what Euodia and Sintish were fighting about, but whatever it was, it was serious enough to be causing some major disagreements and fallouts within the local church. Now, you don't need me to tell you that fighting and breaking up within among people is not unusual it happens in fact even paul even paul got into some fierce argu fierce arguments from time to time we read about some in acts chapter 15 have a look later if you want to to check that one out and certainly none of us are perfect in this in this whole area but it's always a tragedy when two Loyal, hard-working believers in the church, renowned for their faith and for their love for one another, end up fighting. But notice how Paul deals with this situation. 
it's not just the individual's problem. This is a problem for the whole church. In fact, the letter that he's writing would be read publicly. Everybody would have heard it. Everybody would have understood the situation that was going on. And this disagreement, it needed to be sorted out with the help of the whole church, not swept under the carpet or even allowed to fester on scene. And what Paul does, he urges them to agree in the Lord. That's verse 2. Now, it's not wrong or unusual for us to have healthy, legitimate differences over minor issues of our Christian faith, in fact, or even to have some even disagreements about how we should do things within church, but we must never allow them to build into something that will ruin our unity over major issues. We need to be careful over this thing, and we must always remember that we serve the same Lord, we are on the same mission to know Christ, and in fact to make Him known. But sadly, we all know of churches that have been torn apart because of feuds between individuals. Because what happens? People start to take sides, and we think, well, I'm going I'm to just agree with this person, and, and, and things begin to split apart, and issues arise, and, and division happens, and it becomes majorly destructive. But worst of all, it actually brings disgrace to the gospel, and it dishonors the name of Jesus. And when these things happen, it involves all of us. We are all affected by it, whether we like it or not. And we need to follow Paul's examples of what he does in the situation. And the first thing he would say to us, I think, don't ignore it and don't take sides. Don't start getting your little agenda in place. Don't ignore it and don't take sides. The second thing he says, discuss it openly. Remind those who are fighting, in fact, remind everybody about the unity that we should have in Jesus Christ. And then urge people to seek genuine reconciliation and to live out the truth. In fact, the truth that Paul has already spoken to us about back in chapter 2, in verse 1, where he says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one in mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility value others more important than yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you looking to the interests of others." And, and Paul goes on because he says, not just do that, but actually become like Jesus. So he goes on in verse 5, in your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. He took on the form of a servant, being in the very... Um, being made in human likeness and being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father." 
And as we face challenges and difficulties within our lives, we need to shape ourselves both on our love for one another, putting one another first, but actually shaping ourselves on the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul would urge us to do. Now remember, Paul is facing a great deal of difficulty and challenge. He's, he's in prison, okay? He's, it's, life's not easy for Paul, and Paul knows all about difficulties within life. But just like Paul, there are things within our lives that we maybe will find it difficult to rejoice in. Maybe illness or opposition or setbacks, but we still can, in fact, we still should rejoice in the Lord. In fact, Paul says, rejoice. Oh, and again, I say, rejoice. So good, he had to say it twice. <laughs> we, 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 and, and this idea, whatever situation, Paul says, you've got to re- learn to rejoice. And we rejoice, maybe not in the difficult situation, but we rejoice in what God has done through us and in us. In fact, we rejoice the fact that we have been forgiven. If you are a Christian, if you've come by faith to the Lord Jesus Christ, you rejoice that you are a son and daughter of the living God. In fact, you rejoice that no amount of circumstance or situation can ever take your position in Christ. Your eternal position is with Christ. Nothing, no situation can ever remove that from you within life. And we need to keep reminding one another of these things. In fact, we need to keep reminding ourselves of these things if we don't keep doing that because of the immediacy and also the challenge of our situations, we can very quickly let our hearts turn to complaining or to grumbling or just to fighting instead. So Paul is facing these serious challenges, okay? He's facing the difficulty within Philippi But that's not the only problem he faces. He's also facing the problem of the division that's going on within the local church in Rome. Add to that the very real possibility of his own death. And Paul has got every reason to be worried. But he doesn't. Instead, what Paul does is he explains the secret to victory over worry. And that is where we're going to spend the rest of our little talk this morning, the secret, what is the antidote, the secret to victory over our worries. From verse 6 to 7, Paul puts some biblical principles into practice as he turns his attention to how we should deal with these worries that are going on within our lives. Now, a few years ago, we were flying back from our holidays, and we hit some major turbulence. Have you been in a plane when, it, when, it's, when it's, it's really... I, I don't mind too much for a few minutes, but this went on for 40 minutes, and even I'm starting to get a little bit stressed and anxious about what's going on here. We've just been given some drinks, and the drinks are splashing everywhere. They're spilling out of the cartons. It's, the thing's rocking you. We hit those pockets of air, and suddenly it drops, or at least it feels as if it drops, and, and then it picks back up again. And, and you're looking around. Everybody's gripping hold of their seats. People are starting to go white. The color's fading from their, from their faces. The sick bags are beginning to get filled up. Rosie's filled at least three already by this moment. And, and, and it's, it's just a, it's, it's not a very pleasant place to be, to be honest. And then across the um, loudspeaker system comes this calm, relaxing voice. This is your captain speaking. There's absolutely nothing to worry about. Don't be alarmed. The turbulence may feel quite bad, 
but you are in perfectly safe hands. I'll be honest with you, it didn't really help. <laughs> Not for a moment. Because simply saying, don't worry, doesn't really help someone who's anxious, does it? You know? And we may worry for many different reasons within life. We worry because we feel under threat or because we're unsure about what's going to happen next or just worry because situations are beyond our control and we don't like things being beyond our control. And most of us will struggle with worry to either a greater or lesser extent. And worry, it affects our thinking, it affects our digestion, it affects our coordination, in fact, it can really strangle a person and make them completely ineffective within life sometimes. In fact, worry has got very definite physical consequences. So headaches, migraines, you get migraines? I get migraines when I'm feeling under a bit of pressure. Um, neck pain, ulcers, back pain, and, and many other physical manifestations of stress and worry within our lives. And from a spiritual point of view, worrying is thinking the wrong way and having the wrong feelings about our circumstances, about people, about, about things. Listen, worry is the greatest thief of joy. There's no faster way to lose the joy within your life than to get anxious and worried about something. However, the answer is not to tell someone, stop worrying. I wish it was that easy. It takes more than just good intentions to get the victory over our worries. Now, Paul says that the antidote to worry is a secure mind. Verse 7, he says, And the peace of God, which transcends or passes all understanding will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. And when we have a secure mind and the peace of God guards you and the God of peace will guide you. And what Paul is saying here, if you want to try and conquer worry and have this secure mind, he's saying we need to put three things into practice within our lives in these few verses. Simply this, pray right, think right, and live right. First of all, pray right. Verse 6 and 7. And Paul's brilliant answer to worry, pray. Now, why does he say that? Well, because when we turn to God, when we align ourselves with God, when we realize actually there's no threat that can come against his children, our Father in heaven loves you, loves you and cares for you. And when you begin to understand that God knows everything that's going to happen for, um, to you, that actually will work out all for his glory and ultimately for our good, that he is thoroughly and completely in control of everything, something changes. What changes? Well, the thing that changes is the way in which we view our circumstances. We often use the phrase, prayer changes things. So what actually changes when we pray? Well, God doesn't change. God is unchangeable. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Our circumstances, sometimes they change, but actually very often they don't change. So what changes when we pray? We change. God 
changes us. God allows us or enables us to look at our situation and our circumstances from God's perspective rather than from our perspective. And this only can happen when we spend quality time in the presence of God, when we come near to God. Now, it won't entirely undo the knot in your stomach sometimes. What it does, it gives you the right perspective on the way to look at the things that you're going through, to see them from a different position, a different angle, from a godly way. Now, notice Paul doesn't simply say, pray about it. What Paul says, by prayer, by petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. So whenever you find yourselves worrying, and that happens quite often for me and for most of us, I guess, when you find yourselves worrying, you need to turn to God. Your first response ought to be to get yourself alone with God and worship Him. Because prayer carries with it this idea of adoration, of devotion, of worship. And it's essential. If you, if you are to see the greatness and the majesty and the wonder of God, you need to realize that God is big enough to handle all of your problems, that he is large enough and great enough to deal with every single situation that you are going through. And this can only come when you spend time with him. And so often we rush into his presence, we sort of give him a list of all the things we want him to do for us, and then we rush away again. But the first step is that we adore him. It's got to start there. We adore God. We lift our gaze. We see how majestic, how wonderful He is. We understand that He is the God of all creation, the God who loves us beyond our understanding, the God who is goodness to us, the God of mercy over us. We understand who God is, that we enter His gates with thanksgiving into His courts with praise, that we give thanks to Him, that we praise His name. And praying right begins with adoration. And that's the bit we so often leave out. We rush to our lists. We rush to the things that we want solved. But it must start with us aligning ourselves with God. Understanding God. And it comes through words. It may help to put on some music, some worship music. Whatever works for you. Spending time. Some key Bible passages that, that just speak of who God is, spending time there. But when stress and worry comes, the first place we should be going, rather than to whatever else we default to, we go and begin to worship. It's difficult. It really is. But if we can start there and line ourselves with God, it changes things. The second step is petition and our supplication in different translations. And this is the earnest sharing of your needs and your problems. Again, it's not coming and just rattling off a list of requests, okay? That's not what this is. It's talking to God honestly. When you're coming angry, direct it to Him. He's big enough to take it. When you don't quite know what to say. Maybe just you're feeling under just a huge amount of stress and just frustration. 
just bring it to God. Just tell him how you're feeling in that moment. Be honest with him. Just pour out your heart. Just pour out those petitions. Pour out what God's, what, what you just want to, just bring it all to him. Just share it with God in heaven. This is about, there's an intensity, a sincerity, just a genuineness in telling God your problems. Don't hold back. Just get it out. The third step is thanksgiving. You know, your Father in heaven loves it when you say thank you. Failing to be thankful to God in many ways is a sin. And you must cultivate a spirit of thank, thankfulness that just permeates your entire life. There's a story in the Gospels about Jesus. Jesus was met 10 lepers. You maybe know the story. And, and he healed all these 10 lep leprosy. Of the, and that day, of course, was a serious problem. People were separated from their families. They couldn't come anywhere near them. There's no cure for it. And these 10 people are healed. They all go away. And then one of them remembers. And one comes back to say thank you. And we can make excuses for them. We can say, you know, it's just human behavior. They're probably just so excited. They just forgot to come back and say thank you. But Jesus was very aware that only one give thanks. And when we fail to thank God, you actually fail to fulfill one of the purposes for which you were created for. And sadly, we're often very, very quick to ask but very, very slow to show our appreciation. And praying right comes from having the right kind of mind. And there's no accident that Paul is writing this little section about prayer at the end or near the end of the letter. He's writing to the Philippians because it's the person with a single mind in Jesus Christ that we talked about and we met in Philippians chapter 1. In fact, it's the person with a submissive mind, the humble mind, like that, of, that, like that of Jesus that we met in Philippians chapter 2. It's the person with the spiritual mind that we met in chapter 3. In fact, it's getting all of these things, and we must put all of these things into practice. Philippians 1, Philippians 2, Philippians 3, if we are to have the secure mind of Philippians chapter 4. And Paul advises us to take everything to God in prayer. Big things, little things, all of your concerns, no matter how unimportant you may feel they are or even think they are, you bring them to God in prayer. So listen, why not try it? What have you got to lose? Next time you're facing, you're just feeling the worries building up over an issue or thing, why, rather than doing what you normally would do, whatever that may be, flip the TV on and just watch some mindless rubbish on TV, or whatever, whatever you normally do, okay, rather, why not go to God and worship and prayer? Why not turn to God in prayer with your worries, with your worship, with your praise and thanksgiving? Listen, it really will help you to get the right perspective of the problem that you're facing. And when you pray, tell God that you trust him to look after you. Ask God to change your circumstances, but also ask him to change your heart. And thank him that he is in charge of all things and that you are perfectly safe in his hands. And then this is key. Leave your worries with him. 
walk away free. So often we just want to hold on to them. We can't let go of them. But leave them with God. And the result of this, that you will receive God's peace. Verse 7. It doesn't matter how afraid you are. God's peace is much stronger. And we cannot necessarily explain it sometimes. But knowing that the sovereign God of this universe is on your side and that he will protect you from giving in to your feelings and being controlled by your worries. In fact, in a very similar way that you experienced when you came to faith in Jesus for the first time, when Jesus saved you, when you give your life over to him and you experience the peace of God in your life, that wasn't the end of things. It was just the beginning. Because as you walk each day with God filled by his spirit, we should be growing in the knowledge of God, but also growing in the peace of God as God pours his love and his peace and his blessings into our lives. Doesn't mean our problems are all going to go away. Sorry, it doesn't. But rather, it means that we can have a quiet confidence within, regardless of our circumstances, regardless of people, regardless of things. So pray right. The second thing is think right. Verse 7. Many Christians believe that it doesn't really matter what we think about as long as we do the right thing. That is rubbish, by the way. It's just completely wrong. Because our minds do matter and because what we think will actually make you the person that you are. And your thoughts and your attitudes will lead to your actions. In fact, wrong thinking will lead to wrong feelings. And before long, your heart and your mind just gets torn apart and you become strangled by worries. And thoughts are very powerful. They're very real. Even though we can't see them or even measure them, but they actually will make a huge impact, a huge impact within our lives. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, it tells us that we need to take captive every thought to make it obedient to Jesus, obedient to Christ. Now, this is not mindfulness or whatever the, the common phrase is these days. That, you know, we don't empty our minds. We fill our minds with Christ. We take captive every thought and we make it obedient to Christ. And whether we're finding it hard to fight thoughts, whether it be sexual thoughts or thoughts about money or, or something else, or whether it's jealousy or angry thoughts or selfish thoughts, or perhaps just thoughts that just keep bombarding our minds and just keep coming in for no obvious reason whatsoever. But it shouldn't surprise us because if our hearts, if our hearts are unclean, it shouldn't surprise us to have our minds unclean as well. So our strategy must be that we allow God's Spirit to change our hearts by filling our minds with good things so we don't leave room for those other things to begin to filter into place. So in verse 8, Paul says we need to think right. And he gives us a long list of things. The first thing is this, beginning of verse 8, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true. A survey was done on worry, and it reported that only 8% of the things that people worry about 
are actually genuine matters of concern. That means that 92% of the things that you're worrying about at the moment are either imaginary or they will never happen or they are things that you have got, you've got absolutely no control over and therefore there's no point in you worrying about them anyway. You see, Satan is a liar and he wants to corrupt your mind. But God's word and the Holy Spirit wants to fill your mind with truth. But Satan wants to try and control. He wants to try and steal. He wants to oppose those things with his lies. The question is, who are you going to believe? Are you going to believe the lies of Satan? Are you going to believe the truth of God? And we need to learn to live in truth, in God's Word, by God's Spirit. But if we, we, need to, we need to learn what is truth to be able to discern what is right and what is a lie. And then Paul goes on, not only what is true, but whatever is noble, whatever is right. And this means worthy of respect. You know, there are many things that are not respectable that a Christian should not be thinking about. I don't mean that we bury our heads in the sand or that we try and avoid anything that is either upsetting or unpleasant to us, but what it does mean we don't let those things control our minds or become our focus or our attention. We be careful what we allow to, to filter in and take control over, over ourselves. And then Paul says, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, you know, there are times when we feel under constant attack. I think most of us probably experience those, those moments. I think Paul is referring to here is probably, probably sexual um, impurity, most likely. But the, te- the temptation of sexual impurity can be a huge challenge, particularly for, for men. But Paul urges us to feed our minds on pure things, beautiful things, things that are worth talking about. In fact, Paul writes to the Ephesians, and he tells them a similar thing. He says, there should not even be the hint, not a whiff of anything that is immoral in your behavior among Christians. So flirting, uncompromising situations, the internet, the films that we watch, the books that we read, the magazines with unsexual, um, I guess, elements within them. And we need to be careful that we, what we feed our minds on, because what we feed in will affect our hearts. It just does. And we need to be careful what we put in because what we put in will change. So, we, so you need to protect your mind. You guard your heart, guard your mind, guard your eyes. Be careful what you're looking at. Be careful what you're spending your time with. Then Paul finishes the end of verse 8. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Now, I don't know about you, but I cannot afford to waste any mind power or energy on thoughts that would just tear me down or destroy me. I just haven't got enough of it, probably. <laughs> but I, you know, it, it, we, why would we want to waste our time on things that are going to destroy us and actually tear us apart? Instead, we need to fill our minds on God's Word by spending time in regular and constant and daily meditation on the Word of God found in the Bible. And as we do this, what it does, it builds in a built-in radar into our lives that help us to discern and to detect wrong thinking. 
You see, if we fill our minds on the things of this world, if, 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 if it's just, if it's, if, whether it be the films that we watch or, or, or whatever, we, we, we fill our minds on worldly things, we become like the world. But if we fill our minds with Christ, you will become more and more like him. It's not rocket science. What we put in will affect our hearts. Think right. The third thing is this. Live right. You know, it isn't possible to separate outward and inward actions. And, and Paul is concerned that we don't just think right in some sort of disconnected, disdetached way, but that we actually put what we have learned into practice. And Christian thinking is only valuable if it actually results in our lives being changed. So as we read God's Word, as we listen to Bible teaching, as we, as we study God's Word for ourselves, it should be making a difference in the way in which we live out our lives. It should be changing us day by day. And if our life is not being transformed by Jesus, then actually something's wrong. In fact, if we're not growing more and more like we should stop for a moment and just ask yourself, what is going wrong? Now, this is not sort of just a constant uphill when we grow like Christ. Often it's a few steps forward and maybe one step back. But actually, as the months go by, as the years go by, we should be becoming more and more like Jesus. And if that is not happening, we need to ask, am I praying right? Am I thinking right? Now, head knowledge is not enough in this. We must have the truth of God within our hearts so that it begins to be lived out within our lives. So, in verse 9, Paul says, learn the word, receive the word, hear the word, and do the word. And one test as to whether or not you're growing more and more like Jesus, in fact, one test as to whether you are living within the will of God is to ask yourself the question, do I know the peace of God in my life? Because if you're walking with God, then the God of peace will have influence over your life and you should know something of God's peace. Now, that ebbs and flows a little bit, at least it does in my life, and I'm guessing we're not any different. Okay, so, but there should be something of God's peace within how we live out our lives. If we are disobeying God, if we're not living according to God's ways, we lose our peace. We live in sin. We just have no peace with God. It's, it's, it's a great way of just looking at ourselves and asking the question of ourselves. There's no middle ground in this. Either you give your heart, your mind, your life to God, and you practice praying right, thinking right, and living right, or you give in to your circumstances and your problems, and you find yourselves being torn apart by worry. Which one of those two things best describes you? I should say, just at this moment, there are some medical conditions that leave certain people more prone to anxiety. Okay, I'm not talking about that. Okay, so sometimes we need to get medical help with, with certain areas of stress and anxiety and, and, and that sort of thing. Okay, so, you know, but actually for all of us, it's great to put some of these principles into place within our, within our lives. The thing is, if God seems far away and you, your life 
feels in turmoil, could it be that you're just not enjoying the promises of chapter 4, verse 9, that the God of peace will be with you because you're not obeying chapter 4, verse 8? You are not thinking about such things that are true, that are noble, that are right, that are pure, that are lovely, that are admirable, that are excellent or praiseworthy. And you've got a choice. You do. You've got a choice in everything that we do, but you've got a choice. Why not choose to believe the truth that there is no need to worry? In fact, to an extent, worry itself is a sin by allowing the peace of God to guard you and the God of peace to guide you. This is not going to change overnight. I wish it could say it would. Sometimes God can miraculously just deal with a situation, but actually very often with this, this is a journey that God takes us on as we, we walk through this. It doesn't often change overnight. In fact, learned behavior takes some time to change. But making some Christ-centered changes to your prayer life, to your thought life, in fact, to the way in which you live life is going to bring the peace of God to, to all of your life. And it takes time. It says in Freedom in Christ that if you want to break a bad habit and to create a good habit, it takes at least 40 days. That's perhaps even optimistic. <laughs> it probably takes a lot longer. So give it time. Just saying, I've tr I'll try this for a few days. You know, I'll just try and, and look at my prayer life and, and look at my, my thought life. And, and, and just, I've tried it for two days. It hasn't worked. I'll give up on that one. This is a lifetime of reshaping and rechanging and looking at how we come to God, looking at what we feed ourselves on, what we put into our minds, looking at how we live that out within our lives. And as we, and as we do this, I, for one, am prepared to believe Philippians 4 verse 7, the God of peace who transcends, who passes all understanding will guard my heart and my mind in Christ Jesus. That is the truth of God's Word. So we either believe it or we don't. And if we believe it, then we make sure that we can put some good, godly principles into how we live our life, that we pray right, that we think right, and that we live right so that God gets the glory, and so that we grow more and more like Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, just for the, how practical sometimes your word is. And Father, we want to pray now, Lord, as, we, as many of us, Lord, struggle with worries and anxiety and stress for one reason or the other, Father, we, we want to bring that to you. But Lord, we want to thank you that you are the God who can deal with all of that and so much more. And Lord, you are the God of peace, the God who passes even our understanding, the God who will bring your peace and your love and your mercy into our lives. And Father, I pray for my friends here this morning. I pray over my life and for our lives, Lord, that we would be able to live out your word to put into practice to live for your glory and for your honor. And Father, we pray, Holy Spirit, just come 
Lord, where we need your help, Lord, we, Lord, we reach out to you. Lord, we, know we, we thank you, Lord, that you are the God who comes near and comes close. You're the God of love and God of mercy. We give you glory and we give you honor. And we thank you, Lord, that you will help and you will deal with all of our situations. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. I just say as we, we finish, really, the, the, um, I'm going to sing in a second, but the, um, this begins with, with knowing Jesus. That's where it starts. And if you don't know Jesus for yourself today, you need, first of all, to, to come and find him. And in fact, God wants to come near to you. He loves you. He cares for you so much. And it starts with admitting that you're a sinner and actually believing that Jesus Christ is the answer to that problem of sin within your life. And as you come and as you invite God in, as you turn from your sin and turn to God, God will come into your life, into your heart, and he will change you. And you will receive something of God's peace in that moment. But tell you what, it's also a lifetime of learning and growing more and more in him. If you want to talk to me about anything we've chatted about today, do come and speak to me afterwards. There's folks around for prayer as well. We've got some folks over here for, uh, you coming in? Come in, come in, come in. Um, in Sunday school, we've been doing a little bit about what you've been doing, and they've written a song, so they want to sing it for you. So here he goes. Cast all your worries to God because he loves you. Say, get lost to the devil because he's dangerous. Say, your love is unfair, be strong. 